0: have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Let's go to chapter 12 and verses 12 through 19. Now we shared on Wednesday night Jesus' last days on earth, not just as a man, but a special man. The scriptures call Jesus the God-man, the incarnate God, God in the flesh. He took the body of a man To identify with man. If you were here when we went through the Gospel of John chapter 1, John takes time and he ministers to uh, the body of Christ. We have to know and we have to understand that Jesus is God. There's a lot of people that uh, believe in God, but that encompasses many gods. But when we say that Jesus is God, many times those are fighting words. And so in John chapter 1, uh, the God-man, he puts on flesh. He becomes one of us. He identifies with us. He suffered and experienced suffering just as common to man. And I have to ask this question, are Christians... In the Middle East and in third world countries right now, experiencing death as Jesus did. Even the death of the cross. We hear of crucifixions uh, in the Middle East, all because people are believing in Christ. And so I want you to leave a marker there where you're at and go back to John chapter 1 real quick. (coughs) Excuse me. And I want to pick up in verse 14 to verse 18. But when you come to the Gospel of John, Jesus is God. And I want you to see the capitalization on various words here. He begins here with the Logos. It's called the Word. It's capitalized. This Logos, this Word, becomes flesh. And so this is the incarnate God. And so in John chapter 1, look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Notice the capitalization on word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and again the capitalization on the word his the glory is one of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and then he gives testimony and john john the baptist that is here in verse 50 john the baptist bore witness of him again capitalization and he cried out and he said this was he Again, capitalization of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Very important here, kind of a play of words, but John the Baptist is the older cousin of Jesus. He was older by six months, but notice that Jesus, he says, yet Jesus Christ was before John the Baptist. Very important here. Because the Bible says that God always was and always will be. And so Jesus always was and always will be. In verse 16, and of his fullness, again, the capitalization, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes right there, we're going to read it later. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we are saved by grace Through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. And then he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him uh, to us, literally. And so now, uh, through Jesus Christ, we see and we partake of God. Because the Bible says Jesus is God. And so we started on Wednesday night as we are preparing uh, for Resurrection Sunday. Most of you traditionally call it Easter Sunday. Uh, Today is considered traditionally Palm Sunday, but we see the triumphal entry. And so on Wednesday from John chapter 12 verses 1 through 11, how Mary prepared Jesus' body for his soon death at Calvary. Or Golgotha, the hill of the skull. There's this beautiful story. We went through it on Wednesday. The tapes are in the back or the CDs. Uh, Mary anointed uh, Jesus' feet. Now listen to this. She's preparing his body with one pound of spikenard. Very costly oil. Now if you look up here, we have a, a bottle of oil that we use when we pray for the sick. Some of our leadership, uh, they have it on their keychain, a the little, uh, you know, valve that we just opened up. It takes some oil. We just put a dab. And I want you to see that Mary, she takes this alabaster box. We, we see it in another gospel. She breaks it open, and she just covers Jesus' feet, and she washes his feet. In John chapter 13, we're going to see on Wednesday night coming up, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples and he takes a basin and then he puts water in it and he has a, a, girded himself with a towel. It's a badge of a servant. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples with the water. It's normal. Then they would take oil and usually put it on the forehead or on the head. It was anointing oil. Mary does totally the opposite. She doesn't use water, but she uses this spikenard. The aroma was incredible. But she is preparing the body of Christ. Ladies, pay attention. In the Middle East custom, the hair was under a veil. The hair usually was up. If it was down, the men were not to see it, only the husband. There they are in Simon the leper's home, and... Martha is busy, the other sister, cooking and cleaning and and getting everything ready. She complains, Jesus, uh, tell my sister Mary to help. But Mary took time to worship the Lord. She washed his feet with this spikenard, precious oil, the aroma. The Bible says that it filled the house. And you can imagine uh, just the fragrance People walking outside, I believe, could smell it. This spikenard was very expensive. One pound was considered at this time about 300 denarii. Listen to this. About a year's wages. In fact, Judas Iscariot says, what are you doing? This should have been sold for uh, money and for profit and given it to the poor. That's not what Judas wanted. He wanted to pilfer. He wanted to take. He was a thief, the Bible says. And we know that he'll betray Jesus For 30 pieces of silver. Let me go back to Mary ladies. Her hair. Was let down. And then. She dries the feet. Of Jesus with her hair. The humility. The love. The compassion. Jesus never stopped her. Because she was preparing him. For his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it filled the house. If you get a chance, go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and read the account of Isaiah. Because he's being called to the ministry as a prophet. And the train of the Lord filled the temple. And the worship and the praise and the adoration. And the smoke, again, speaks of Of the worship and the praise. This is what Mary was doing. There's a balance between Mary and Martha. One is serving, the other one is worshiping God. There's a balance, there's a time to worship, and there's a time to serve. Mary took this position to worship the Lord, and it it moved upon the hearts of the people. Everybody was in awe. But I want you to see the fragrance, what it must have just declared. And so, who is she honoring? But she's honoring God. Now, when you continue to study, uh, when Philip comes to Jesus, one of the disciples, and he says, Lord, I understand, but show us the Father and it will be sufficient. Jesus' response, a lot of people don't like. Jesus said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then he takes it the next step. My Father and I, we are one. In Colossians chapter 2, in the Godhead bodily, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but in the Godhead bodily, you will see Christ. And it tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that all things consist by him. All things were created by him for him. But they're consist. We get up every morning. The sun comes up. The sun goes down. The stars. The moon. uh, I mean just so beautifully. I don't understand all the sciences. I just take advantage of it. Right? Then you get up and you're breathing. And you go who breathed for me last night? God took care of everything. And so all things consist by him. I want you to think of this. If he stopped for a nanosecond as they say. All chaos. Everything is held up by him. You want to believe in a Big Bang Theory? That's your prerogative. But if there is a Big Bang Theory, somebody (laughs) lit the fuse. All things were created by him and for him. And so he is the God-man. Jesus is God. Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. My Father and I, we are one. John chapter 1. How can you get away from John chapter 1? And then... Finish the chapter and not see Jesus as God. Beautiful. And so now, they're going to honor this God man. He's been with them for a a a three-and-a-half-year ministry. 33 years, old, he's been there. But these last three-and-a-half years, he's looking at the cross. He's going to the cross. He knows it. Mary's prepared his body now. And now the triumphal entry. We call today, uh, traditionally, Palm Sunday. And you come in and the palms are usually given in in most of your churches. You know, we just don't do it here. And yet, uh, it's called, historically in the scriptures, it's the triumphal entry of Christ. But I want you to see this as we're going to read as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. In fact, the scripture says the next day after Mary had anointed his feet, as he comes into Jerusalem, he fulfills the Messianic cry in Psalm 118. He fulfills uh, Zechariah 9.9. He comes in on this donkey, this colt of a donkey that nobody's ever ridden. Now, John, the gospel, just covers a concise portion. We're going to go to the gospel of Luke. Luke really covers a lot more. And I generally teach out of Luke on the triumphal entry, but I wanted to get the flavor as Mary had anointed his feet, and now the next day, the triumphal entry, and then John 13, the next chapter, Jesus washes feet, kind of following it chronologically. And that's why you don't just read the Gospel of John, but you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you see the prophecies that lead you up to that point. And so let's begin here in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. We've already covered uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And here the caption of my Bible says, a triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. In verse 12, the next day, I like that because that's following what Mary had just accomplished. The next day a great multitude that had come uh, to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so this next day, they're at this feast day, a, a supper. This is not the last supper, but a dinner that was made for Jesus at Simon the leper's house. Mary and Martha, they're serving. Lazarus is there. Lazarus is the one that died, remember? Scholars say it's about two months after. Lazarus has already died, buried, and he's risen again. And he's there in the house. And the religious sect want to come in, they want to kill him. They also want to take Jesus, and eventually they're going to kill Jesus. And so on Wednesday night, verses 1 through 11, Mary washes the feet of Jesus, and now The next day, they're at the top of Bethphage and Bethany, and they're coming in to Jerusalem. You never go down to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. But look at the people. Verse 13 now. They took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him. Speaking of Christ. And they cried out, this is the Messianic cry of Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. In our Christian culture today, this is called traditionally Palm Sunday. Uh, Historically, the church declares it scripturally as the triumphal entry of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, into Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand the culture. You have to understand a king, a ruler, a monarch, somebody coming in uh, to your city. It was very customary, and you're going to see it in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, They would take off their coats and put them in the floor. They would take the palm branches, and they would scatter them. And as Jesus was coming through, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the Hebrew, save now. And so they understood they were honoring him as Messiah. But I want you to see the palm tree. The palm tree is very significant. Uh, The palm branches from the palm tree were considered the symbol of victory. When you do a, a background search on palm trees. Now, at our house, we have three major palm trees. And they started when they were little guys about 25 years ago. They're huge. But ours don't go as high. They go over the house. But ours are huge all the way around. They do not bend. But when you look at palm trees, a lot of them in Southern California, we have those straight-up palm trees. And when the winds blow, they move. Well, palm trees can grow uh, anywhere. Listen to this, from 40 feet uh, to 80 feet. The palm tree is very unique. That's why it's considered uh, the symbol of victory because all of us have seen storms of another. and You see the news clips, and usually where it's an area that has the palm trees, and here comes a, a hurricane effect or whatever it might be. Man, those palm trees can sway, but they never break. I'm reminded of Pastor Chuck when he teaches in the Beatitudes. He says, I'd like to add one more beatitude. Blessed are the flexible for they shall bend but they will not break that's a palm tree that's a palm tree and sometimes as believers it's a good added beatitude because we have to bend sometimes we have to bend more than we like to bend and yet you're not going to break you're concerned lord i'm not going to make it this time i'm not i'm going to break no you're not somehow some way god bounces you back The scriptures say he will never give us any more than we can handle. And so I want you to see the entourage of people now. They're honoring Jesus as Messiah. They're honoring Jesus as king. They're casting the palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David. Now, I want to get a different flavor, so turn with me to the Gospel of Luke now. And I'm just going to read through it real quick. In Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, And again, uh, the caption of my Bible says the triumphal entry, and this one is written by Dr. Luke, and he gives us a little more insight. And so Luke 19, look at verse 28, and when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage, and Bethany, as the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples uh, saying, go into the village opposite you where uh, as you enter, you will find a, a, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loosen him bring, him, bring him here. And if anyone asks you, now I love this. He says, where are you? why are you loosening him? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And nobody's going to refuse this, watch. So those who were sent went their way, and they found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. It's about a two-mile journey that Jesus is going to ride from Bethphage and Bethany. Jerusalem is not that far. But I like that the owner did not say anything. Okay, the Lord has need of it. The Holy Spirit went before uh, the disciples. The Holy Spirit went before the Lord. Prophecy is being fulfilled here. You're an owner. I mean, this is your donkey. This is your colt. Nobody's ridden him. All of a sudden, two guys are snagging it. Oh, okay, take it. I see God's hand here. In verse 35, then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And he went, many spread their clothes now on the roads. This is, again, the palm trees are involved and such. And then he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. When you go to Israel, Bethphage and and, um, Bethany are in this area, but... No longer there, but I understand where it's at. And then as you descend, it's so beautiful because it's not far. You can see Jerusalem. And you picture Christ coming through there. And these people heralding him. I want you to see this because this same group of people later, not even a week from now, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, but crucify Jesus, the fickleness of man. We're the same way. We can be excited one day. We could be in that other crowd the next day. I love when I leave here on Sunday mornings. I'm pumped up. I'm, I'm just excited in the Lord. And some of you, likewise. And it doesn't take much, does it? I'm going down the street. Somebody cuts me off. And all of a sudden, here comes that temper. Go over to Walmart and a little Volkswagen takes my spot. In Jesus' name, I want to punch him out. You see, little things like that. And so one week, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, the next week. Less than a week, crucify him. Crucify him. Notice verse 38. And and this is what they were crying out. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of, of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest And some of the Pharisees, they called to him from the crowd. A teacher, they're calling out to Jesus, rebuke your disciples, because this was a Messianic cry. This was Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David. This was a psalm and and a cry for Messiah. Well, Jesus is the Messiah. Stop them. And I love this. I wish they would have stopped because I want verse 40 to be accomplished, but it didn't. Look at verse 40. But he answered and he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, and they didn't honor him, the Psalm 118, the stones would immediately cry out. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? I Personally, I would. Even over a donkey speaking to Balaam. You say, Pastor Bob, you believe these things? Yes, because the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. We've shared this, and what if Judas Iscariot would not have betrayed Jesus? Who would have betrayed him? I guarantee you he still would have been betrayed by somebody. But the scriptures were fulfilled. Stop them. The Messianic cry was only for the Messiah. When you go to Israel today... They're waiting for Messiah. Who are they going to encompass? The Antichrist. That's what the Bible says. Years ago, when we were in Israel, they were waiting for a Messiah. And I had read all, all about it. Uh, a rabbi by the name of Shneerson, And uh, the Jews are waiting for Shneerson. They said he was the Messiah. Well, when we went to Israel at the time, Shneerson, the, the rabbi, had been dead for two years. <laughs> I couldn't help it you got to pick the right people or else you're going to be in a big battle out there. And so a young guy, about 22, 23 years old, we were having coffee or something. He was serving. And I said, hey, I, I, see, I see that poster. I had seen it before. I, not, I don't read Hebrew. So I said, eh, who is that? And he goes, oh, that's Messiah. Oh, is his name Rabbi Shanerson? And I probably mispronounced it, but he goes, yes, yes, that's him. <laughs> and he says, you're waiting for him? Yeah, I said, wait a minute. I heard he passed away. Oh, yes, he did. I said, now, isn't he supposed to resurrect? Yes, he is. He's been dead for two years. Where's he at? Mm, Good question. But but see, they don't know, and they're waiting for Messiah. The Bible says they're going to accept the Antichrist. When the Antichrist declares himself to be God, they're going to go to the rock city, Petra. Messiah has already come. Now, you and I don't have a problem. But in Israel, those are fighting words. In New York City, those are fighting words. And yet I've seen beautiful, born-again believers that are Jewish. They call themselves completed Jews. I love that. But the cry was left for dead Just six, seven days later now turn with me real quick psalm 118 if you can get there quickly and and verses 24 through 26 here's the messianic uh, cry fulfilled uh here in luke and then john and the other gospels so uh, uh, the messianic cry i'm not going to cover all of it just verses 24 25 and 26 and so psalm 118 and i have to say this the times that jesus would have been with his disciples and three and a half years of ministry listen to this They would have sang this song. They would have sang this song because the Psalms are songs. A lot of our uh, Maranatha music came from the Psalms. You can't go wrong. And so listen to verse 24, Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. As saved now, I pray, O Lord. I pray, send now prosperity. The word saved now is Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Hosanna in Hebrew, which we're seeing it in Luke, in the Greek, oh, save now. That's a literal translation. And so they're crying out, Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. But just a short time, crucify him, crucify him. How quick man changes. But Jesus died to give us life, life eternal. This triumphal entry was to fulfill scripture for you, for me, for the last 2,000 years. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 14 and 15. Then Jesus, when he had found the young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, and he's quoting Zechariah 9.9, 9, Fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, uh, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so in John chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 here, reiterates what we just read and studied in Luke chapter 19. Uh, you also pick it up uh, in Matthew. I had written it down here. Matthew chapter 21, verses 9 through 11. I mean, it covers that. Again, that's why I encourage you, don't just read one of the Gospels, read them all. Study them all. They all give you, uh, if you may, a different flavor. But I like verses 14 and 15, and I want you to pay attention here. Zechariah 9.9 is fulfilled. To the day, scholars believe. On the 10th of Neoson, which was the, the Hebrew calendar, But let me read to you Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. The scriptures tell us why he came. Lowly and he's riding on a donkey's colt, the foal of a donkey. Exactly what John said. Exactly what Matthew said. Exactly what Dr. Luke, the physician, said. I have a book in my library, and I always bring it forth at this time of the year. It's the book called *The Coming Prince*, and uh, it's by Sir Robert Anderson. And Sir Robert Anderson was in the 18, the mid 1800s, I believe. He wrote it around 1880, 1890, something of that nature. He's a very godly man, but listen to uh, Robert Anderson, his background. He was a top investigator uh, for Scotland Yard, and he knew his stuff, and he loved the Lord. He went to a a Bible college and such, and university, got his degrees, and the man loved to figure things out. He took the scriptures, and he took Zechariah 9-9, and he looked at the Gospels. And then he balanced with, you, under, you have to understand, the Jewish calendar to our type of calendar. And he came up to the 10th of Neosin. but I like this. This is what he says, and I'll, you can be in agreement or disagreement. If it's off a year or if it's off a day, it still happened, okay? But Sir Robert Anderson said on Zechariah 9.9, the exact, exact day of Scripture said, April the 6th, 32 A.D. Listen to this. Zechariah is pinning 500 years before Christ. 2,500 years for us today. The exact day. I I like to believe that it was the exact day. If it's not, it doesn't bother me. Because I know the triumphal entry took place. Was it on April the 6th, 32 A.D.? There it's going to be those that are going to argue with you. And I won't argue with you. It's the same thing. People go, oh, Jesus was born uh, on December the 25th. No, he wasn't. We celebrate December the 25th. But the triumphal entry took place. Palm Sunday uh, took place. Traditionally, it's celebrated all over the United States and abroad, even today. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at John chapter 12 and, and verse 16. And so his disciples disciples they did not understand these things at first some of you here this morning might not be understanding these things i was there many years ago but as the holy spirit begins to work in your life naturally you've you have to come to the born again experience and as you study the scriptures god begins to reveal things to you god begins to show you things and, you know, people say, well, you still believe Jesus is God? Yes. Well, I'm not there yet. I just can't. Well, that's your problem, not mine. We all have a free will. You can believe or you cannot believe. His disciples did not understand these things at first. I like that. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written, listen to this, about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, let me give you a little bit of scenario here. Pay attention. If you're taking notes, it's good. After the ascension of Christ back in uh, into heaven in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told them to wait for the promise. He's talking about Joel chapter 2, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then 10 days later in the upper room, the 120 were waiting for the promise. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. And after the Feast of Pentecost, the disciples would see the meaning of many prophecies which referred to Christ. So here's a scenario. 40-day post-resurrection after Jesus rose again from the dead plus 10 days equals 50 days, which is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell. Then the disciples applied all of this to Jesus, which they had not fully comprehended before. Listen to this statement by Pastor Chuck. Indeed, it is only in the light of the new covenant that the old is to be fully understood. I love that. After the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell in on the 120. Uh, Peter goes out and gives his first sermon. <laughs> Over 3,000 souls came to saving. And they argued the point, it, it, aren't these Galileans? They were the lesser of oh, the Pharisees, scribes of the Sadducees. They were the unlearned ones. They were fishermen. They were farmers. They were tax collectors, publicans. They're speaking in unknown tongues. There were 17, 18 different dialects. They heard the wonderful works of God. A revival starts. All of a sudden, the scriptures are coming to life. Peter's looking at Isaiah 53. Yes, speaks about Jesus, speaks about the Messiah. Looking at Psalm 118, the Messianic cry. Looking at Psalm 22 that we read this morning in our devotional. How can you go away from those? But if your eyes are blinded and your ears are stopped, you can't. Paul, which was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, didn't understand until he was knocked off of his animal and a light shone round about him. What did Paul respond? He recognized that that light was not a a very usual, it was an unusual, it was different. He sensed the power of God. Saul of Tarsus says, is that you, Lord? Why do I say that, that Paul was ready, Paul was moved? Because He consented to Stephen's death, the first martyr of the New Testament church, the first deacon of the church. We look in Acts chapter 7, and Stephen takes them from Genesis all the way up to the present time. He preached to them, and they didn't touch him until he was finished. And then they stoned him to death. But the Bible says Stephen was looking up into the heavens. The Bible also says in the book of Acts that they took off their coats and they laid them before Saul of Tarsus. He consented to his death. Then he goes in Acts chapter 9 to Damascus with letters in hand. He's never the same after that. When he saw that light, and he was with a group of men, but only Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is that you, Lord? When God touches you, when God touched me, Is that you, Lord? There are circumstances in my life that brought me to that point. There are circumstances in your life that brings you to that point. Don't fight those. If you haven't come to the born-again experience, God uses these things in my life. You've heard me say it from the pulpit many, many times. I don't understand. Lord, this person over here has cancer. But through the cancer, they come to saving grace. Through the cancer, I see their family come to saving grace. Through the cancer, God works miracles, signs, and wonders. In the world, you go, is this the God that you serve? I don't want him. He gave me cancer. No, he didn't. Cancer is a product of the sin nature. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. God created everything perfect. When you get to heaven, argue with Adam. Because we're all born with Adamic sin. Thanks a lot, Adam. And then Adam's going to say, I didn't do it. Talk to Eve, man. The woman that he gave me, right? The disciples began to understand after. Just like you and I. Peter had denied the Lord three times. I'll never deny you. The rooster crowed. He went out and he cussed. And Peter now in Acts chapter 2, different Peter. He's preaching with a boldness of of the power of God's spirit. 3,000 souls in the church begins. We're all a product of that church. 2,000 years later, look at verse 17 now. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 17, the story of the testimony of Lazarus was Everywhere. It spread, like they say, wildfire. We mentioned on Wednesday night that scholars believe now that Lazarus had been raised from the dead now two months. We know that he, he died, was buried, then he rose again. There was four days that he was in the grave. I mean, you cannot deny it. So people are, are buzzing with this. Lazarus had been in there for four days. A testimony like this does not just go away. The Sadducees were not happy campers at the time. They did not. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They wanted Lazarus dead. He had to die again. Many of the people in the crowd had been with Jesus, and they witnessed Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. These bore eyewitness account of Lazarus' resurrection and what they were doing, telling everybody now. They wanted to hear about Lazarus. When you come to Saving Grace, you have a testimony. When people watch your life, truly a changed life, people watch your testimony. That's why it's so important to keep a good testimony. Don't tell people you're a Christian and you're still living like the world. You got one foot in Christ and one foot in the world. They will see it. God took everything away from me. And my family saw it. For some of my family members, it's taken 32 years, 34 years now that we've been here. It's taken 37 years that we've been in Christ. And some of them are coming to Saving Grace next month. I'm going to California to do my niece's wedding. All my aunts and uncles will be there. And if you've been to any of our wedding ceremonies here at the chapel, we do preach the gospel with love and compassion and grace. The gospel will be preached. My niece said, Deal, would you do the wedding for. My fiancé and I, I says, yes, one condition. She says, sure. I go, it's not about money. I will preach the gospel. She goes, I want you to. I go, you better warn your mom. She's not going to like me after. <laughs> the people that were following Jesus now, the testimony, the witness of Lazarus. Listen to this if you're taking notes. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, the the. It's required for a testimony for two or three people. It's still used today in a court of law. The problem today, you have three people that are testifying, but they're all lying. They're going to have to answer to God one day. You could not take away from Lazarus being raised from the dead. I mean, I think everybody was asking Lazarus. Were you really in the grave for four days? Were you wrapped in grave clothes? I mean, he was the first mummy, right? He came out. Unwrap him, Jesus said. Uh, Look at verse 18 now. For this reason, the people also met him, and and because they heard that he had done this sign, They wanted to see Jesus. They also wanted to hear about Lazarus. One reason for sure that so many were searching out to meet Jesus because they had heard about the miraculous sign of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But listen to this. Very important. Miracle signs and wonders will not save you. I'm telling you, people could see a miracle and it's not going to move them. There's a lot of people that witnessed the risen Lazarus but did they all come to saving grace not everybody comes to saving grace and and so now I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians and I want to read that portion and and go with me to chapter 2 and if you're taking notes uh, when you get home would you read verses 1 through 10 I'm just going to cover three verses uh, 8 through 10 by grace we are saved excuse me Not of works, let's any man should boast. For by grace, look at Ephesians 2, look at verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. What's the problem with the gift of God? Nothing, but you have to take that gift. Dads, remember when your daughter would give you that very ugly gift, gift, whatever it might be. I always use this illustration. Uh, You know, your kids give you a tie if you wear a tie and right in the middle of the tie is a big old eyeball. And you go, I can't wear that to work. But you do because your daughter gave it to you. And your boss says, what's your problem, my daughter? Oh, I understand. I got one in the closet too. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift that you cherish. But if you don't take that gift It's no good. So the gift of salvation is there. But if you don't take it, what good is it? We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. It's a gift of God, the word grace. Now, back in verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, which is sin, he made us alive uh, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul was caught up in the grace of God. The word grace means unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But he gives me grace. I'm telling you. I sit there times and I said, Lord, you saved me. And not only did you save me, but you want to use me. The last 30 plus years, this has been just, I, I could never have dreamed this up on my own. It's a God thing. I would have never met some of you. I, I was Southern California boy, why am I going to leave? I have family and friends that live 25-mile radius. They've never, they haven't even been out to Nevada. They're just stuck there. That's a Hispanic culture. There's people here. You ask them, you've been to Disneyland? No. You've been to the beach? No. And you go, what? That's a culture thing. You just don't move. And to move 850 miles, it is a God thing. Grace upon grace. Paul was stuck on grace. Look at verse 9. Not of works lest anyone should boast. If, If not by grace, then works. And then if there are works, we would boast. And we would say, I did it. Now, I want to give you just a little quick scenario here. Works will not get you into the kingdom of God. You might be somebody that likes to give. Financially, physically, emotionally, whatever it might be. Katrina hits, and you want to give something. You know, you hear of an earthquake situation, you want to give something. We have the rescue mission over here, and so uh, here comes Thanksgiving, you want to do something, and all these things are good. But a lot of people think that's our salvation. Or the others that say, well, I'm a good person. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of good people in hell. The Bible says we must be born again. Every year at Thanksgiving time, it never fails. You go to L.A., and the rescue mission there is huge. Well, Hollywood's right around the corner. And so there's always a few celebrities that come, and then they bring a, a crew with them uh, that actually films them, and then you see them on the, you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 11 o'clock news, and there's John Doe. He just, his movie just came out. Look at him. He's serving beans to the homeless. Oh, that's good that's not going to get you into the kingdom of god the bible says we must be born again here it is again we are saved by grace through faith not of works lest a man should boast and then he ties it up in verse 10 for we are his workmanship the word workmanship is a poema Uh, we are his handiwork we are his personal poem created in christ jesus for good works Good works will come automatically. Uh, We have people in this church that just take care of so much. It allows me the, uh, the privilege to study and to pray. And people come in yesterday. All of this was torn down. The tables were set up. And then they come in and vacuum and clean up and then set the chairs up again. And we're ready to go. Bathrooms are clean for you. Everything. I mean, think about that. Servants, they do it because God has already saved them. They do it out of the goodness of their heart. Well, I better go clean the bathroom at the church because I want to go to heaven. Be careful with that logic because works will never get you into the kingdom of God. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And and again, we've shared this verse so many times. Romans 10, 13. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. There's nothing you can do. If you never help. But you truly accept Christ, you're born again of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19, we come to the conclusion now. The Pharisees, these are not the Sadducees, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him, speaking of Christ. And so here's the religious sect. These are the Pharisees, they said to each other, there is nothing we can do, we can't stop this. And I like to insert here, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How do you stop truth? You can't. People have tried to stop truth. Uh, This Bible is truth. The devil has tried to stop it. You can't. Christianity is truth. The devil has tried to stop it. He can't. Salvation is truth. And they're trying to destroy it in the Middle East right now. They can't. In the Roman arenas, they were killing the Christians left and right. And as they killed Christians, others in the stands would stand up and and serve the Lord. You can't kill Christianity. And so here's the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. How do you stop truth? And I want to dwell on that. Turn with me to John chapter 18 now in verses 37 and 38. Jesus is eventually brought before Pilate. Pilate is an interesting character. His wife Claudia was a believer. She wrote him a note, "Let this just man go." This is why he tried desperately to give them Barabbas. But they wanted they wanted Jesus to kill him. They wanted to give them Jesus but Barabbas was set free. That's what I'm trying to say. In John 18, look at verse 37. Pilate, what he must have gone through. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you the king then? Jesus answered, You say rightfully that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should, and notice what it says here, that I should bear witness uh, of the truth. I love this that I should bear witness of the truth. I have come into this world that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone wanted to hear uh, truth. In verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? How many times have we come across that? Even in our own life, what is truth? And when he had said this, He went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate is looking at truth. Pilate is looking at Jesus. What is truth? You know, we might pick up the Bible and say, well, Lord, I want the truth. It's there. You're looking at Christ. He is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I'm thinking of our United States of America. People know who Jesus is. They know that He's the way, the truth, and the life. This is what they hear, but they want to do it their way. They can't handle the truth. I was that way. I'm okay. Leave me alone. I've been to Catholic schools for 12 years. I've done all the doctrines, the sacraments that I was called to do. We got married in the church like we were supposed to, even though we got married in Las Vegas. I've done all the right things. My friend kept telling me, Bob, you need to be born again. Oh, gosh, I hated him. And I eventually came to know and to love him because he led me to Christ. He led me to Christ. Today... We celebrate Palm Sunday. Traditionally, it's called Palm Sunday, but as we studied this morning, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. I know throughout the city, people went to the church and they're gathering, you know, the palms. When I was a boy, we went to Saint Joseph. Catholic school, we went to St. Joseph Church. It was right above a little park, and everybody played ball there. So my mom, mijo, I want you to go to church. It's Palm Sunday, and you bring me back a bulletin, and you bring me back some palms. Okay, mom, I go play. I'm 10 years old. I'm an altar boy. I know where everything's at. So I go to the sacristy. I know where the palms are at. The priest is finishing the mass, I know where the bulletins are. I put two, three palms for my mom. She's a happy camper. I give her the bulletin. Oh, thank you, mijo. If she would have looked at my pants, I played marbles. I'm all dirty. I didn't go to church. Tradition. Tradition. And then Ash Wednesday, when it starts, you got to go get the mancha, remember? And if you didn't, you'd be in trouble. I told you the story. I'm going to end it because some of you don't know it. My brother couldn't go one Particular Ash Wednesday, he was sick. I came back, and you know, usually you have a pretty good mark. She goes, Come here. Your brother didn't get a chance to get ashes. Come here and give him some of yours. I go, Mom, I can't do that. Oh, yes, we can. She takes saliva, puts it all over my brother's forehead, puts his head with my head. And I'm going, Oh, <laughs> man. And we exchanged ashes. And my brother's like, What? And I go, And my ashes were all <laughs> runny. But that's mom, and you do it because you love her, right? <laughs> Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you, and we worship you, Lord. We stand in awe of your promises. Lord, the triumphal entry is for us. The triumphal entry is for us. Lord, uh, Zechariah 9.9 is accomplished for us. The Messianic cry in Psalm 118. It's for us, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody that still hasn't made a a commitment to Christ, not to Calvary Chapel, today is the day of your salvation. Put your pride aside and come to the cross. Pastor Cliff is going to be up here. And if you want to spend some time in prayer, he will be more than happy uh, to pray with you. He will lead you in the sinner's prayer. He will pray for you. If you prefer uh, to pray with one of the ladies, uh, I'll have one of the ladies come on up and, and she'll, be, she'll be up here. Uh, Kathy, you're in the back. Would you come? Calderon, would you come up to the front? Uh, what, some of you don't know, but Pastor Cliff is blind, so please come up to him and tell him you're there. He might smell your cologne, but that's about it, okay? But let him know he will loves to pray for you and he will not forget your name. All right. If you'd like to give, the ushers are going to come forward. Praise the Lord. Uh, Matthew's going to end with a song, and then he's going to dismiss you. Please pray. There's a lot of hurt in our fellowship, Uh, sickness, disease, infirmity. There's a lot of people with cancer, and it it hurts me to see it. But God has a purpose and a reason for everything. All right. God bless you guys.